Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And it's the countdown to the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Triple Whammy. We set sail October 21st. It's been a long time coming, but it's here at last. There are cabins available. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com to book your cabin and come join the fun. If you were on the first two, you know it is the vacation of a lifetime. This time we got Kurt Angle as the guest of honor, Will Ospreay from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Rock and Roll Express, Bully Ray is the guest host, along with Brad Williams. Dean Malenko is going to be there, Billy Gunn, uh, and a who's who of AEW talent, including Orange Cassidy, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, Lance Archer, and Jake Roberts, uh, the Gun Club, Cole Cabana, Will Hobbs, Chris Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, uh, Jamie Hayter, uh, Chris Statlander, so many more to come with another big announcement on Thursday. So come check it out. The lineup is stacked. Uh, Medusa is the guest cruise director. Striper is playing Quarantine, Fozzie, Rubik's Cube, Secret Saints, Paradise Kitty, Dave Spivak Project, Crowbot, the list goes on and on and on. Snap up one of the uh, remaining cabins while you can at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And tickets for Fozzie's Save the World Tour have been selling out fast as well, coming off uh, double sellouts in Cleveland and Flint, Michigan. And we got a few stops left on this fall tour. FozzieRock.com, all the ticket information. We're in Louisville, Kentucky at Louder Than Life on Sunday, then September 27th, Indianapolis, Indiana at the, Indiana at the Hi-Fi and the 28th, Harrison, Ohio, which is just outside of Cincinnati. That's the Blue Note. And then the 30th, Nashville at Basement East. The first is in Canton, Georgia at the Action Building. And the rest of the dates follow after that. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket and VIP information. There are a few tickets left for some of the shows and a few VIPs left for some of the shows. Uh, but the rest are selling out. And speaking of sold out, we sold out Manchester at Club Academy uh, on November 30th as Fozzie returns to the UK. We sold out in Swansea, Wales. We sold out in Nottingham. Looks like London and Glasgow will be next. A few tickets left for those shows. You better get them quickly. There's Newcastle, Liverpool, Chester, Bournemouth, Birmingham. Tickets will be sold very, very quickly. Once again, FozzieRock.com for all information about how you can come join the fun. The rock and roll is back, not just with Fozzie, but Iron Maiden. We had Nico McBrain on a few weeks ago talking about Senjutsu, and now we're going to review the album, a worldwide event, as Maiden albums are. This is their first in six years. It came out a few weeks ago. Uh, don't forget to check out the Nico uh, Talk is Jericho. It was hilarious. Nobody tells stories like Nico about the making of the record, but now we're going to really dig into the record after we've uh, had a chance to listen to it a bunch of times and digest it. I got two of my fellow Iron Maiden fanatics to join me today. Uh, Brian Slagle, the uh, originator of Metal Blade Records and one of the biggest Iron Maiden fans I know since day one. I also got the editor of Metal Hammer, Merlin Alderslade, returns. He discovered Maiden later in their career on the reunion era, Brave New World in 2000, but he's a huge fan as well. Obviously from England, one of the greatest Iron Maiden-esque names ever, Merlin Alderslade. I mean, come on, that is amazing. Uh, they're going to tell you exactly what they think of Senjutsu. We'll break down the songs and the performances. You'll hear how we rank it with some of our favorite classic Maiden records. And between the three of us, we've got some great trivia, behind-the-scenes info, killer stories about Iron Maiden and the Senjutsu record. Here we go. It's the Senjutsu Review with Brian Slagle and Merlin Alderslade on Talk is Jericho now. It's really interesting to me, and actually Brian and I have talked about this at length via text, 
how Iron Maiden is one of the last bands uh, in existence that when they put out a new record, it is like an event. It's like a world event with their fan base that they have. People talk about it and debate every track uh, incessantly, and that's what we're going to do today with two of the biggest Iron Maiden fans I know, and all of us different generations. Brian Slagle, of course, the uh, the founder of Metal Blade Records, huge Iron Maiden fan right from the beginning, and then one of my favorite people, both personality and in name, the most Iron Maiden-named man on the planet, the editor of Metal Hammer, Merlin Alderslade. I mean, come on, man. Every time, man. Never gets you old, be, uh, me hearing you put over the name. I appreciate it. It never does. It's like you were born to be a Maiden fan with that name. You had no choice. <laughs> yeah, it had to happen. It had to happen. <laughs> but let's just talk about this and we'll get right into it. Brian, you have been a Maiden fan. We've talked about this. W- w- since, since what year did you get into Iron Maiden? So 1980, a friend of mine in Sweden that I was tape trading with sent me an ACDC live show from somewhere in Europe. On the very end of the tape, he said, hey, there's this new band called Iron Maiden that just put out something called the Soundhouse Tapes. I think you might like it. And he put those songs at the end of this uh, ACDC live show. I listened to them. I was like immediately, whoa, what is this? What is all this going? What is happening here? And that's when I discovered the new wave of British heavy metal and the whole thing. And that's when everything just went crazy and from literally that day until today and probably for the rest of my existence uh iron maid is my all-time favorite band so so i got involved 84 power slave tour and growing up in canada i was a little bit younger than brian and um you'd always hear about number the beast and kind of the evil connotations of heavy metal i remember going to a ukrainian catholic camp with my cousins and probably 82 and when the lights went out, someone was playing Number of the Beast with the intro and all of us just being terrified that the, the Antichrist was coming to kill us all Catholics that we were. But I really got into on the Power Slave record uh, in 1984 when that came out up until this day. Depending what day you ask me, my favorite band, if it's not Metallica or the Beatles, it's one of those three kind of the rotating trinity of, of my favorite uh, uh, heavy metal bands. Now, how about you, Merlin? When did you get into Iron Maiden? I'm feeling like a bit of a Johnny come lately to the party, but I I, uh, I actually got into Maiden on Brave New World because I was a child of the new metal generation. So I kind of got into metal on bands like, you know, Corn, Limp Biscuit, System of Down, Slipknot. Right. And it probably would have been through a copy of Metal Hammer or Kerrang, one of those magazines that I started reading about this band who's this legendary metal band who I'd obviously heard of and heard of Iron Maiden. Like they were such a kind right. of cornerstone of metal already at that point. Um, but I kind of read about how their original singer had come back to the fold and they were releasing this new album and everything else. So I went and picked up Brave New World. That was it. I just went and picked up everything else they've ever done. And I feel kind of fortunate in a way to have come in at a point where, you know, they had their classic era. That was their most celebrated era at that point. But I feel like I kind of got to grow up with Maiden in almost like a second golden era, which they've kind of been in ever since, in my opinion. So I'm the same as you two. Like if Maiden aren't my absolute number one favorite band of all time, they're about pretty much on any given day. And, and that's, and that's my point. That's what I love about this. And, and, and Brian, if I have discussed this being kind of from the old, not old from the first iteration of maiden, which would be from, you know, iron maiden up until virtual 11, let's say the two blaze Bailey records. Then of course, when Bruce returns to the brave new world, this is the second, not glorious, but it's the second iteration of iron maiden that in a lot of ways has eclipsed the first and it is cool to me. That's why I wanted to have you, Merlin, because this happened when we did the Aussie Classic Album Clash, 
we've been here from the start. You came in at the beginning of the, of the reunion and both iterations, eras is probably the better term. Both eras are just as important. And Brian, I want you to address that being a, a tried and true card-carrying member of the first era, but also really understanding what's going on for Iron Maiden in the second era as well. Well, yeah, obviously the band was massively huge in their first incarnation, but with both, you know, Deanna started it all off, of course, and then, you know, Bruce came in and that ignited them onto the next wave. And, you know, that really for me, that first year kind of ended in eight, 1988 after Seven Son of a Seven Son when Adrian left, even though they put out a couple records after that that were that had some good stuff on it, but overall weren't like every song was amazing, whereas the other ones kind of were. Right. And then Bruce left, obviously, and that, you know, that definitely ended that era. So I was happy when he finally came back because, you know, as a, as a Maiden fan, I kind of lost touch with them. You know, we've talked about, you know, I wasn't really into the Blaze Bailey stuff that much. And Maiden just kind of just had gone away. But there was always hope from all of us Maiden fans that at some point, you know, Bruce and Adrian might come back because everybody's still making music. You know, Bruce and Adrian had kind of refound, you know, became friends again and were making music again. And I think we all were hopeful that at some point it was going to happen. It kind of would just make sense because, you know, those guys back in Iron Maiden would make the band a lot bigger than they would be. So when that came around, I was very happy. And I liked those records, but it's interesting because when they first started putting out this, the second era, second generation, second era of Bruce and Adrian with Maiden, I liked it, but I wasn't like a huge fan. It's interesting as time has gone on, I've really warmed up to those records a lot. And then the last album, Book of Souls. Book of Souls is like probably my top Iron Maiden albums of all time. And the Red and the Blacks are my top five Iron Maiden songs ever. So <laughs> I've kind of gone back now and listened to a lot of that, that second era Bruce stuff and really, really liked it. But the amazing thing is, and you know, this is kind of the perfect conversation I have with the, all the generations here is uh, they're bigger than they've ever been. I mean, they're headlining stadiums and festivals and, you know, doing multiple arena dates all over the world. It, it's pretty incredible how huge they've become kind of in the second generation now. What I love about it too, is that there really, there really was a shift in, in the sound. It started in Brave New World, but it's really happened over the last three or four records to where a lot of old school Maiden fans, and it's mostly guys, Brian and I's age, aren't having the new era of Iron Maiden. Cause they're like the classic Iron Maiden albums were four minute songs, five minute songs, and it was more compact, and that's that's Iron Maiden. It's almost like if you're a, a Rush fan or a Van Halen fan, and it's not the same, but Van, there was a change in Van Halen between 70s Van Halen and 80s Van Halen, 70s Rush and 80s Rush. And there's still guys that go, yeah, Rush lost it at Signals and then Grace Under Pressure and Power Windows. Brian's one of them. I love those eras. I love 80s Kiss. I love the band evolving and changing and that's exactly what Iron Maiden has done. Yes, they've gone to these longer songs. I will discuss this later. The prog word doesn't fit for me. It's not prog. It's just longer, more developed songs. That's what they want to do now. But there are like, you know, the Andy Sneeps of the world, like Maiden sucks. I want the three minute, four minute anthems. It's not the same band. They have changed to this. If you don't like it, it's not going to switch. Steve is not going to change just because you want Sun and Steel and Trooper and Quest for Fire, et cetera, et cetera. There's two separate sounds between these bands. 
Now, Merlin, you came in on, on era two. When you go back and listen to era one, obviously it's the classic era. Are you seeing those differences as well? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think the the kind of DNA of where they've evolved since was sewn into Brave New World in some bits. Like you have those longer tracks, more epic tracks like The Silent Planet, the title track, uh, Blood Brothers. There's a lot of that kind of DNA that they've taken forward. But um, I mean, as soon as I got it, one of the great things about being into a legendary metal band is when you get into them, whatever point you get into them, especially in the modern era, you've got this vast catalogue to just jump into. And that was true bad then as well. So I kind of jumped in and I picked up like a greatest hits set to start with. And then I just started getting all the older stuff out by album. And yeah, there's a huge difference there. I mean, I, I absolutely adore the Diano albums. I think they're amazing, but they are a vastly different band to what Maiden are now. And even in those two albums, there's a couple of little signs of like Steve's, I mean, you're right, you wouldn't call Maiden a prog metal band, but you'd maybe call them like a progressive heavy metal band. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they even had little signs of Steve kind of loving that kind of stuff and looking sure. towards those kind of things way back then. So it's just been a gradual evolution, I think. And I think it's natural for them. I totally get why people, uh, certain people don't like it. I've got friends around my age, older friends, younger friends, friends who say the same thing. Like, you know, we want classic Maiden. We want 10, five minute heavy metal bangers. But, you know, if you want that, you can go pick up the last Judas Priest album because that's what they did. That's and it right. was great. But that's that's not what Maiden do right now. And and I really, um, I, I mean, I love them for it, to be honest, because I think as we'll get into, there's so much to dive into with what Maiden produce now. They basically don't give a f and that's what I love. They really don't care. Yeah. It's one of the only bands in the world. Metallica is like this too, but they fall under the hammer a little bit more. Maiden can do whatever they want. And the attitude is we don't care. Most people, 90% of the fans of Iron Maiden, like you mentioned, stadium level worldwide popularity, follow them for that. You know, and I had a debate with a friend of mine about this and I was like, listen, dude, you can complain about it and be angry about it, but when they come to town, they're playing in front of 10,000 people. If they're playing the States or they're playing in front of 20,000 people or 40,000 people, I'm going to be singing along to every word when they play this album in its entirety because I'm telling you it's going to happen. They've done it before with Matter of Life and Death. And if you're one of those guys that's going to be there complaining that you're not hearing Number of the Beast, I'm going to be singing to freaking you know, Senjutsu and to Lost in the Lost World and to Hell on Earth and not giving a shit if you don't like it because I'm going to love it. And so will all these other people that have become, you know, maiden aficionados over the last 40 odd years. Well, the, the new stuff plays really well for me too because I love long, all my favorite songs are long epic songs. If you look at my top five, right? yeah. all like nine to 10, 11 minutes. So I love the long stuff. And obviously, you know, they were kind of one of the first bands to come around and do it, you know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mirror, yeah. 13 minutes. Like back then, when that came out, it was like, oh my God, this is so long and nobody's really done something like that before. So, so they kind of have been doing it all along, obviously not as much as they do now, like the, as we'll get a new record, you know, almost everything on there is like 11 minutes. I love that. Yeah, I know. Like you mentioned, Brian, like if you go back to Iron Maiden, fan of the opera, yep. I think it clocks in at about seven and a half minutes. And I remember that as a kid, How Will Be Thy Name is over seven minutes. And I remember that was one of the cool things that I liked when Metallica first came out was like, oh, they play longer songs like Iron Maiden. We were used to the epics back then were seven, eight minutes. So we've always been conditioned to the longer tunes. Let's talk about Senjutsu. And the one thing I want to point out is that Maiden much like Kiss, have always put out records in the fall. And I'm going to go through all the records that came out in August, September. Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, No Prayer for the Dying, The X Factor, Dance of Death, A Matter of Life and Death, 
Final Frontier, Book of Souls, and Senjutsu. All came out in August or September uh, of the year, which I thought was kind of a cool little thing. You know, Maiden's got kind of a dark autumn quality to it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I guess it kind of fits their routine and that, you know, they're not one to kind of to budge on those kind of things. And I mean, you two, you know, being uh, in a band, Chris, and being on the label stuff, side of stuff, Brian, there's like, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons around general tour cycles and stuff why they do that as well. So it obviously works for them. <laughs> now let's talk about it's always one of the most, and once again, the last band in, maybe on the planet where you're so excited as what the cover is going to be. What iteration of Eddie are we going to see? Now we can kind of delve into this. At first we were hearing about Belshazzar's Feast, which is such a great Maiden-esque thing. And I thought for sure, okay, the album is going to be called Belshazzar's Feast and the singles writing on the wall because they had all the little clues online. They really worked it well. And then, of course, then they released this giant press release of it's not Belshazzar's Feast. It's Senjutsu, which is what the f*** does that mean? And, of course, it's this imperial ancient Japanese samurai Eddie. What did you guys think when you first saw that uh, that image? What did you think, Brian? I love it. I mean, it's my second favorite Eddie next to Killer's Eddie. Also my favorite Eddie, by the way, Killer's Eddie, the best Eddie. Yeah, yeah. That's the best Eddie ever. But the second era of stuff since Derek left, all the covers are good, but some are definitely better than others. But this is one where I think they really, like, Eddie just looks amazing. And as a samurai, just perfect. Like all those images are great. And like I said, when I saw the cover, I'm like, oh, this, this album better be really good because the cover is phenomenal. And it is. Merlin? Oh, I loved it. I mean, it just, I think they have dug into the kind of ancient Japanese iconography before I've seen certain like tour t-shirts and stuff that have kind of done this thing but in terms of like a main run Eddie as soon as I saw it it's almost like I can't believe they've not done this before because it's just it lends itself so well to everything like you can imagine how the stage show is gonna look like it's just he's swinging a samurai sword around how has this not happened before <laughs> my favorite Eddie is the uh is the power slave Eddie which I have tattooed there nice I loved, once again, I was so surprised because they did this before. I think it was before Dance of Death. The rumor was that the record was going to be called The Majesty of Gaia, which is something about Earth, like Mother Earth or something. And then it ended up being either Brave New World or Dance of Death to where they kind of took us like a, on a wild goose chase. And so when I was expecting Belshazzar's Feast and then it came out with Sinjutsu. Now, I've been to Japan, you know, 60 odd times. I've never heard this word before. But seeing that Eddie, it was like, Okay, I love the fact, and Nico told me, he was on Talk as Jericho, said people were complaining that, oh, they got another black background, like Book of Souls. But it's cool because it really focuses in on this, you know, Samurai Eddie, which is just so well done. And if you buy the actual record, when you open it up, the vinyl, there is a huge landscape of a Japanese, you know, ancient city or town with the uh, Senjutsu Eddie just killing everybody. And it's like, this is great. Like once again, what the greatest marketing tool gimmick ever is, is, is Eddie and Iron Maiden. We never know what we're going to get. Yeah. And in the vinyl too, on uh, each of the uh, you know sleeves that hold the actual vinyl, there's other versions of Eddie as the samurai, which are all amazing. It's, it's so, just great. And yeah, they did a great job of the packaging on this. Probably the, might be my favorite overall package they've ever done. It's pretty incredible. And once again, one of the last bands that does that and, and people of all generations are excited about it. Now, like you said, what's the set going to be and, you know, what's Nico's drums going to look like? And Bruce has already talked about how they found some lightsaber fencing foils. They actually have made lightsabers. And he's talking about doing a lightsaber battle. And I'm like, <laughs> it's funny because they're doing the Legacy of the Beast tour next year when they go back on the road. 
And I'm sure the only reason for that is that Smallwood spent so much money on the production. He's like, eh, I'm not going to, we're going to get our money's worth out of this one. Well, and, and there's a lot of places that they never got to that, that ended up getting canceled, never saw it. So that was my big question was, what are they going to do? They have a new record out, but they haven't finished touring on the Legacy of the Beast. But yeah, I guess they're going to go finish that up first and then obviously yeah. do this. Tour. And I hope they do what, what you talked about, Chris, is do the whole album. That would be amazing. I have no doubt about it. Uh, I just know it in my heart. Just, I know Iron Maiden. And like I said, they did it in 2006. It's been a while. And before we get into the actual tracks, keep in mind, this record, much like Power Up ACDC, had been in the can for two years. They had recorded it and kept it in the can for two years. And much like ACDC, nobody knew about it. That's the thing I love about those bands. There's no social media. There's no nothing. Steve Harris had the only copy in his safe at his house. Nico was like, Steve goes, well, have you heard the album, Nick? He's like, no, I haven't heard the f***ing album. You're the only one who has the album. How could I have heard it? So that's so classic Iron Maiden. And then one last thing that I'll tell you, I was talking to Brian about this. I'm not sure if you had this too, Merlin. They sent me an advanced link to the album. What I did not know is it was like Mission Impossible. After two listens, it just disappeared. <laughs> Yeah, I had the same thing. <laughs> yeah, too. And I talked to Todd, the American PR. I was like, Todd, it's a f 85 minute album. You can't just listen to it twice and get anything out of it. You got to give me more listens, man. You know, very espionage. I was actually fortunate enough to go down to Maiden's HQ and, and hear some of the album ahead of time because we were doing a, a big cover feature for Metal Hammer. And I don't know if it was like the original copy, but um, they played it. Uh, this has never happened before. That any, I've been to a lot of listening sessions. It's the first time it's ever happened. They played it to me on a blank white label vinyl. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> just, again, it's just so Maiden. Like, it's it's just, classic, right? I don't know. Again, don't know if it was the only one they had or what was going on, but they just kind of pulled that, you know, their management team just pulled it out. And I was like, oh my God, this is serious. <laughs> Maiden for me is the one band that I will not listen to the record until it comes out. It's like tradition for me, every single album, it's come out i go to the record store buy the vinyl and listen to it then so i i'm still newer to it than you guys are you guys heard it beforehand but i didn't i didn't want to hear any of it was it bothering you when i was sending you a little text about it <laughs> no it was actually great because i wanted obviously i'm curious as a maiden fan so really good because you kind of you helped set it up a lot for me too so when i listened to it i kind of got it more than i would have before because you kind of set me up like the long songs and right. you know the way they're structured and how it takes a while to get into it because honestly first listen i was kind of eh, i like it I'm not sure how much i like it yeah you know certain songs i really liked other ones like like hell on earth i was kind of eh, and now it's you know one of my favorite songs in the record it's 82 minutes long this is a monster record anybody that's listening to this it's it's a grower not a shower as we say spend some time with it because these songs really come to life especially the longer ones after six seven eight listens so uh, it kicks off with the title track of senjutsu which is, is Japanese for tactics and strategy, which I love. Because once again, this takes me back to high school where I had to Google it. What does this even mean? Rhyme with the Ancient Mariner. There was no Google then. I had to go to the library and <laughs> look up in an encyclopedia. What is the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner? What is this? Senjutsu uh, continues this from a, from a lyrical standpoint. Uh, Merlin, what did you think of this when you first heard it? What do you think of it now as an as as opening track? It was one of the tracks I loved straight away. Um, it was funny, actually, in our in our interview with Bruce as well, 
uh, Bruce actually said like he didn't even really know what century two was. <laughs> so it's like I think it's one of those things Steve Harris kind of plucked from his vast kind of knowledge and historical interests. But um, yeah, I loved it straight away. I love those big booming dramatic drums that come in. It's a slightly different flavor for a maiden intro. Although I would probably compare it a little bit thematically, if not stylistically, to um, the start of If Eternity Should Fail of the, the Book of Souls. Mm. It's all kind of fire and brimstone bruce dickinson giving a really imperious vocal performance and then what really seals it for me is that first guitar melody that comes in like it's the first time the guitar real kind of soars above bruce's lyrics and it just sounds made them do this thing where it's like they kind of do the same thing every album and it just takes you for that one melody to come in and then it hooks you and they just they hook you in a kind of almost primordial emotional way that i can't explain they just got this way of doing it um, and so, yeah, I love this track. So I thought it was great. I think the the chorus is epic. Interesting that you say about them playing the, the album in full, because I would love to see this track start a show. It just seems tailor made to start a show, much like, as I said, um, if Eternity Should Fail would. For, for me, when I first heard it, like, once again, there is a lot of different stuff on this record, which is why I really like it. You're expecting Iron Maiden in the back of my head. It's always like aces high the classic opener you know what i mean or even like wicker man had that vibe to it yeah so i'm always expecting something up tempo and, and it's not that so i remember the first time i heard i'm like oh man i don't know what i think of this and then the more i got into it i love how different it is i love the fact that the drums are like those japanese drums which incidentally is what metallica was doing on uh hardwired but now that we're dead they were doing that breakdown with kind of the japanese kind of pounding timpani drums and then it's also a very rare Steve Harris, Adrian Smith track. They don't write a lot together. And to me, like you said, when Bruce starts soaring, it goes, like it really started to get me. I love this song. I would love to see them open a, a tour with it. And it's a great album opener. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, a couple. I'm like you. I had to Google it too. I'm like, what is this? Because I've had <laughs> not as many times as you have, but a lot. And I had no idea either. So I looked it up, and it, it, it's exactly what you say. But it also was a TV show as well, and it was it was actually I think an English TV show. It was called something else, but it involves it's a jujitsu that involves the use of natural energy. Sinjutsu practitioners known as sages learn to draw a natural energy inside their bodies, blending with their Chakra. So it's a, it's a form of a martial art is what you're saying. Yeah, sort of. But I guess it was a TV show. I'm, I'm guessing that's where Steve wrote the lyrics, obviously. So that must have where it, where it came from. But this song's still growing on me. I, I like it. And the more I listen to it, the more I like it. As of today, it's probably my least favorite song on the record. That being said, I love every song on the record. So least favorite is still an amazing song. But still growing on me. I was like you, Chris, at first. I was like, ah, it's a kind of a weird opener. And it doesn't really kind of just plodding a little bit. But now the more I get into it, you see, again, there's so many layers to all of these songs. You start getting through these layers. And like, oh, that's really cool. And I like how that works. So I like it getting there. I think the more I listen to it, the more I'll really get into it. Then we go to probably the most Maiden-esque. Like, it, it, this is not really a record where you're pulling a song to play for somebody that might not know a lot about New Maiden. But if you were going to, Stratego is, you know, the, the classic Maiden gallop. Uh, it's a shorter song. It's, once again, and Brian and I have discussed this, it's a Yannick Gers, Steve Harris song. Yannick, for as much maligned as he still is, not anybody that bags it, dude, it's been 20 years. Get over it. He's in the band. He's not going anywhere. He's awesome. His songwriting for the last few Maiden records, like on Book of Souls, my favorite song was Book of Souls, which he wrote. 
Dance of Death, Dance of Death was my favorite song, which which he wrote. On this record, both the songs he wrote are very very much ones that jump to the forefront right away. So it's this is the one that you want to play for your old school Maiden fan that just wants to hear, you know, Run to the Hills and, and 22 Cache Avenue. And this one kind of fits right in with that. And just as a, a side note, Nico said this was the hardest song on the record for him to play because keep in mind, he still uses that single bass drum pedal. So it's like, he's almost 70. The fact he's still playing these tunes with one bass drum, it's like, Nico, you know, you can get another one and he won't do it. So great uh, chorus, great harmony. Bruce sounds awesome on it. The fact it's named after a Milton Bradley board game from the 70s. The B-side Snakes and Ladders is a good tune as well. But overall, uh, overall, it's, it was a good choice for a second single, especially after writing on the wall, which we'll talk about next. What did you think of Stratego, Brian? We were texting when it, when it came out. You said, what do you think? And I, I mean, I instantly, from the first second I heard it, I had goosebumps. It's like classic made and everything's great. The, the guitars are great. The lyrics are great. Bruce is singing on the whole record. is phenomenal here. It's like such a catchy chorus. You know, I listened to it like 10 times in a row when I first heard it. And obviously it was in my head for the next week or so until the record came out. So yeah, absolutely love it. Classic made. And you're, you're right. Like if anybody complains about, you know, oh, it's not, oh, too long. Just listen to that song. I mean, that song could be on any. 80s era maiden record right totally stand up it's it's a maiden classic i love it it's in my top three songs on this record yeah just back what both of you said really it's just classic maiden it's kind of something despite the the journey they've taken towards more kind of uh like expansive longer songs over the past few albums you want to see these kind of songs still nestled in on there i think it's a really good palette cleanser as well because obviously the opening track as you said is quite unusual to what we have traditionally grown accustomed to with maiden openers uh, the title track's eight and a half minutes long. It's quite, it's really epic. It's like a mini metal opera just in that first opening track. So it's quite nice for that, the last note of Senjutsu to finish. And then Shoshigo to just kick in with that, because you're know, like, yes, yeah. to the races. I know where I'm at now. So I think it's a really well-placed track on this album. And yeah, I love it as well. One of the few tracks that doesn't have an intro to it or something just kicks right into it. Yeah. And some of that Maiden has done quite a bit lately. They do a lot on this record. There's a, a guitar melody line in the background that follows kind of Bruce's vocal, which I think that's kind of a Yannick trademark, but really works well. Then we go to one that, uh, writing on the wall, which is the classic writing team of Smith and Dickinson who have written some of the greatest Iron Maiden songs ever. Merlin, what did you think of writing on the wall when you first heard it? And what do you think of it now? I'm just trying to think if the song had come out when I heard the record for the first time, I can't remember. But anyway, I think this will go down as an all time classic Iron Maiden single. This really was the one that took a while for me to get my head around, especially because either I'd heard it as a single or I knew it was going to be a single. I can't remember which way it was. But it was just like, this This is the song they're releasing, like in a world where we've had like yeah. Wicker Man <laughs> and, you know, The Trooper and Ace of High and all the rest of it. But once at that, once I kind of got over that, that shock, I just grew to love what a unique Maiden song this is. It's kind of like almost like an outlaw country song funneled through heavy metal or something. It's so unique, the pacing of it, the kind of vibe of it. Um, I think Bruce's delivery on this is really like snarling and angry feeling. And that's like, just always gets me going. Uh, I think it's an awesome song. And I, I genuinely think it's going to go off live. Like it's an obvious thing to say, cause it's the song they released, but of all the songs I'm looking forward to seeing people react to live, I think people are really going to go for this when they drop it for the first time. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So this was obviously the first track they released and I watched it with the video at first. And that's kind of, that video is kind of crazy. So yeah. I always find it difficult when watching a video and listening to a song first, you never really quite get it because you're, 
you know, we're watching the images and stuff. I did that with the Metallica record, the last one when it came out, Hardwire, because they put a video for every song. Every song, yeah. And the first time I listened to the record, I watched all the videos. I wasn't really into it because I, I didn't really like the videos that much. And then I stopped watching the videos and listened to the record, realized how great it was. And that's kind of the way it was with this song. It took me, I'd say, three or four listens to really kind of get into it. It's a very polarizing song with Maiden fans because when it first came out, so I had all my, all my friends and I'd say 75% of them really did not like the song at all. And these are big Maiden fans. And I was like, no, you got to get some, like what you say, Chris, you got to give it some time. It's a, right. it's a really good track. It's a little bit different for Maiden because it kind of has a, a lot of people said it kind of had a country feel to it, which the guitar is a little-ish of that, but it's still classic Maiden. And yeah, the lyrics are great. I think the lyrics on this whole record are really, really in intriguing to me. And I haven't read any articles or seen anything what the what the guys have said. So you guys probably know more than I do, but I'm really curious about, and if they even, you know, a lot of guys won't say what their lyrics are about, but this definitely feels like one of those end of the world sort of like the times we're living in obviously are crazy. And it's kind of one right. of those, if you guys don't figure out we're all going to not be around too much longer. That's kind of what I got out of it. And, and yeah, he sings it very angry, which is perfect. I was one of the guys. Uh, and first of all, I got the, I'm an idiot. I went on Amazon to buy like whatever box set it was. And they ended up sending me the CD, which who the f buys CDs anymore. I wanted the album and I <laughs> pressed the wrong button. And then I got screwed because there's a booklet about the writing on the wall video. And then inside the CD, which is supposed to be the booklet with the lyrics, I got a booklet with the writing on the wall video. I got it twice. <laughs> so I haven't had a chance to read the lyrics yet. So anyways, and then I found out Maiden sending me all the things anyway. So I, did not like this song when it first came out. I'm in a text group with Eli Roth, uh, the director and his brother, Gabe, and we we're huge Maiden fans. So excited when it came out, I was like, the actual thing was meh, M-E-H, meh. Like you said, Marlon, this is what they're releasing after six years. I remember the only thing that got me was, can you see the writing on the wall? Can you see the writing? I thought, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And then I kind of put the song away and then I kept hearing that little, hook in my head and then it's like listen to it again and then it's like now it's a worm and now it's like okay now i'm getting into it you said it, it, it's just a tremendous tune i'm not hearing country what i'm hearing is old school medieval english folk music it's so funny you say that i have my some of my notes from the first time i heard this album i just found them but and this is like months back and i wrote medieval down about five times across this album i think that's a really common theme that that's kind of like yeah. medieval campfire ballady thing that's running through a lot of this record medieval uh and not just in england there's some medieval arabic there's some medieval japanese yeah. but this one here i caught a real folk vibe another thing that that rich ward pointed out this song is feel like making love by bad company and then I started listening from that aspect. It's Adrian's wheelhouse. He loves that 70s kind of bluesy rock. He did a whole record with Richie Kotzen with it, which was really good over the pandemic. So then the floodgates opened and then it started hitting me to, like you said, this is going to be a huge live song. And I appreciate the fact they put this out first because on Book of Souls, Speed of Light came out first, which is a five-minute banger, up-tempo Maiden song. I'm glad they didn't do that. I'm glad they went a little bit different because it caught us off guard. And that's what Maiden is best at. It wasn't the standard, what are you expecting? It was like, no, no, no. And also, too, Steve Harris is all over this album. This is, I think, the only song he didn't have something to do with. 
It also shows how cool Steve is to go. There's two songs, Brian. That's, that's Steve Dim. There's two Smith Dickinson songs. Oh, that's right. Actually, there's three. There's three. Oh yeah, you're right. There's three. The fact that Steve went, that's the one. Just shows how f- much Steve Harris loves Iron Maiden. Not just his version. He loves the whole f- band. And I thought that's really cool. By the way, a little tip. Uh, do you have an iPhone, Chris? Or I do. So if you download, if you buy the record on iTunes, you can listen to it and the lyrics come up as it's playing. Oh, cool. I've been doing that. Like I've had to fly a bit lately and uh, I'll just basically that's what I do during the flight. I just listen to the record and the lyrics come up. It's awesome. That's great. That's great. Let's go to uh, the first kind of the real so-called prog of of Lost in a Lost World. It's the first of Steve's four 10-minute songs on the record. Oh, sorry. It's it's a shorter one at nine minutes and 30 seconds. It's basically punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start with this one. It's interesting because I'm reading a lot of their comments and Bruce keeps mentioning like Moody Blues and Led Zeppelin. And it does kind of have an intro with kind of a Moody Blues type thing. But once again, like if you listen to Iron Maiden, the first record, like you've listened to a song like Strange World. That's kind of like it's not proggy because it's not long, but it's very different to what Iron Maiden really is. I think people forget about that era where they had those kind of remembered tomorrows and they had the the purgatories where there was some kind of weird shit going on. This one, it was a real grower for me. I did not like it until one day I did because there's elements of afraid to shoot strangers in it. It's got the famous made of like, and I'm like, I've heard this a thousand times, but you know what? It's all right. It's, it's okay. That's, Maiden's thing. That's Nico's beat. And uh, it really grew on me. And I really, really liked the beginning, kind of like they said, the moody blues type thing. I think Bruce's singing on it is great. I love the vibe of it too. Once again, like Merlin just said, it is really kind of a palate cleanser as to the tunes that we've heard prior to it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I like this song a lot. It's uh, it's kind of like, it is a classic Steve Harris epic. I actually forgot until I just looked back at my notes that this one was nearly 10 minutes as well, because obviously there's the three super long ones at the end. Yeah. Um, I forgot there was another one dropped right in the middle of the album. Bruce's voice is really good on it. I love the opening. It's really atmospheric and a slightly different vibe to what Maiden tend to do with their um, song openers. It loses me a little bit in the chorus because I think it, it takes you on this really enthralling emotional journey, you know, which Maiden do do a lot. They, you know, it's quite a common Maiden trope, but they, it kind of hammers you with this kind of, clunky repeat song title in the chorus over and over again like lost in a lost world da, 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 da. and it's just kind of it loses me a little bit there but overall i think it's a good song still probably it's probably at this point it's probably my i would say my least favorite song out of the first four just to add to that i kind of agree i think the only thing with um, and they use kevin shirley again as the producer and people are like why do you use kevin shirley and bruce even said we're a very hard band to work with we do things our way and we don't give a shit. I, this song could have used probably a little editing, but it's Iron Maiden in 2021. They don't really care about that. So, uh, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm going to disagree with you guys. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite tracks off the record. It's not in my top three, but it's probably in my, in my top five. And when I first heard the record, this was the song that really jumped out at me. I'm like, oh, I really love this song. I, really? See, I like the da 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 and I like this singing the chorus over and over again. Like, Seven Son of the Seven Sons is one of my favorite songs ever. And, you know, that's he says that like four million times, but I love that. <laughs> that point well made. Yeah, so this might have felt the most familiar to me maybe is why it jumped out so much 
the first time I listened to the record. But yeah, on the first album listen, this was my favorite song. And I still really, really like it too. And I, I do a couple things I will say. I do agree that as great as this album is, a little bit of editing in a couple of songs would would work a little bit for me. We'll get to that later. And yeah, Kevin Shirley, nice guy. I'm not a big fan of this production, but really Steve Harris is producing these records and Kevin's just twisting the knobs basically. Right. But I know he has a lot of input in as well. Cause, cause yeah, there you've got a lot of strong personalities in that band that you got to deal with. So it's, you know, similar to Metallica. It's like, it's tough to make it work. Uh, but I'm not a huge fan of, of his productions. I've, Several producer friends of mine that can't even listen to the records because we don't like the way they sound. I'm not that way. A little upgrade on the production on this one because I, I felt I, I, after I listened to this record a couple of times, I went back on vinyl and listened to Book of Souls because I really love Book of Souls. And for whatever reason, maybe just different studio maybe, but I thought Book of Souls production was one of the better ones they've done. And this one, still great. I still love it, but just a teeny bit more of something like a more warmness to it would have been good but like i said i, lo- I love this track on the whole record so it, it's interesting to me because uh, we've been playing it a lot obviously we're on tour right now and this is kind of the album that i'm playing so everyone else is listening to it by proxy and a lot of the, actually two of the guys in the band were saying how much they love the production and i was like that's really interesting because other people are saying they don't like the production and to me it pretty much sounds the same as as all of their records with kevin shirley they kind of have that sound. I mean, Nico's snare drum is a little bit kind of dull to some, but like I said, like Billy Gray, our guitar plays, like the production of this is amazing. So it seems to be a little bit of just your personal preference, I guess. Yep. We move on now to uh, the shortest song on the record, Days of Future Past, another Bruce and Adrian song. Brian, why don't you continue and tell us about this one? Yeah, another, just another one. Like th- those two, when I, on first listen, those two back to back, Lost and Lost World and Days of Future Past really came out to me because very classic made, just like Strategio is as well. It's a very classic made, very classic Dickinson Smith song. And and Bruce, again, sounds amazing. I don't know how, you know, here's a guy that's, you know, in his mid-60s, made a lot of music over all the years, had, you know, cancer, which could have affected his voice, all this crazy stuff. And he especially on this record this might be one of his best vocal performances throughout the record like every song is great the melodies on every song are awesome i love the melodies and this song is really there's a lot of umph to it yeah it's great it's just another classic maiden song great lyrics great song great chorus i mean there's it's nothing wrong with it it's great yeah fully agree i think again we used it a few times it's another kind of i don't know if palette cleanse is quite right but it's kind of a good little uh, almost pause for breath track because what happens next is that we get you know more epics and then just kind of unstoppable run of 10 song super epic 10 minute super epics at the end yeah so yeah it's classic maiden i agree that bruce's voice i think it, i think it's just aged really well it's kind of matured into this like kind of almost oaky kind of more um imperious vocal than you maybe used to have and i think that just really works well with where maiden are at now because if they're still doing these by the seat of your pants flying heavy metal bangers and he was trying to scream all over them i could imagine he probably wouldn't be able to do that so it just kind of suits his vocals more i mean he can still do a lot of that actually if you see him live but mm. i think the way his voice has evolved has, has pivoted really nicely with the way maiden's music in general has evolved and yeah i think this is 
as close to a standard made in track as you'll get on an album like this, but it's still better than 99% of metal bands. So that's fine with me. I kind of, I'm on the same uh, wavelength as you are, Merlin. And, and Bruce, by the way, if you listen to something, I went back and listened to Number of the Beast, the album the other day, just, you know, just to hear, obviously completely different voice. You listen to him on Invaders, you know, and, and Prisoner and all that. He is the air raid siren. Now he's matured. He reminds me a lot of, of, of Dio in the last few records Dio did. He's still got the power, but it's a little bit more of a warmer, smoother voice. He picks his moments. If you see him live, he'll still, he has the one scream that he does, which fits Number of the Beast and it fits Rhyme of the Shimmerin or whatever. He needs that one high scream. He's done a great job of really keeping control of that, especially like you said, after throat cancer which when I spoke to him five years ago said that his saliva glands had been affected, which as a singer is very important. When you get dry mouth, it's hard to keep that up, but he's done a, a great job of that. Days of Future Past to me is probably my least favorite song on the record so far. And the reason why I say that is because I just find it a little bit stock, as Lars would say. It reminds me a lot of Death or Glory from Book of Souls or Fallen Angel, Mercenary from Brave New World, and that they are... The four-minute models of a Maiden song, but they don't grab me. Uh, and maybe I just haven't discovered it yet. It just hasn't come through. I just was always expecting a little bit from Adrian, more of a two minutes to midnight. And, a, you know, he's got more punchier riffs. And this one doesn't have that for me. But I'm glad it's there because, once again, it's a four-minute song where people can go, these songs are too long. Okay, well, here's a four-minute banger. A little bit more, maybe this is your Maiden. I just find on this record it doesn't live up to the ten-minute tunes, man. I'm a sucker for them. Uh, and that goes to Time Machine, which is another Yannick uh, Steve composition. And this is one that really stood out to me right off the bat. I f- love the lyric. Have I ever told you about my time machine? <laughs> I love that lyric. It's like, we've known each other for a while. Have I ever tell you about my time machine? <laughs> it's, like, it's just, what? it's classic, like kind of mischievous Bruce, isn't it? You can, you can imagine him prancing around the stage in some kind of like, Doc Brown, like kind of like lab coat or something. Do you know what I mean? Have I ever told you about my time machine? I was like, oh, I'm in right away. <laughs> uh, the melody is really cool. It's a very kind of, it's happy almost. And then it goes to that. Once again, it's, it's, a, it's a Yannick trademark. There's another great time change in it. And this to me reminds me of an 80s Maiden song in that this would be like an album closer on Somewhere in Time or on Number of the Beast, let's say, or Peace of Mind, where To Tame a Land was seven and a half and, you know, Alexander the Great was just over eight. This one here is the long epic of the 80s Maiden album. And it just stood out to me, and it's one of the highlights. Whenever it comes on, I was like, oh, I like this one. So uh, two thumbs up on, on that account. I agree. I agree 100%. And, you know, Yannick has really become like one of the great songwriters in Maiden. Like every album, he's got, you know, some of my favorite songs on there, which is, you know, again, he's a lot maligned for his live thing. And it's really funny. Like I was on, uh, I'm over it. I did not like his stage presence for a long time. Good guitar player, great songwriter. I mean, I was a fan of White Spirit going back all the way to New Wave of British Heavy Metal, but didn't really like his, his on stage. And it's, um, Obviously, a big thing between Maiden fans, you know, people either love him or hate him. And we were talking to Rod about it one day, very respectfully, because I didn't want to get in trouble. But they <laughs> like him because he's the showman. And it takes the pressure off of like Adrian and Dave because they don't really do a whole lot. True. So I get I get it. But it was funny. I was I was on Eddie Trunk's radio show uh, years ago. And Eddie 
went off on, you know, Yannick, Hayes, this whole big thing. And, and Dean Del Rey is a really good, funny comedian, a friend of mine was on the show. And they were just both crushing uh, Yannick. And I kind of was defending him. And I was laughing to myself. And I finally said, I said, if any of my friends out there are listening to me, I'm defending Yannick. <laughs> I would turn my back when, when he plays the lead on How It Be Thy Name, which is the greatest song ever written of all time. When he plays the lead and destroys it, I have to turn my back and put my fingers <laughs> in my ears. And it's like, drives me crazy. I was like, the guy that played the lead is standing five feet away. Why can't he play the lead? But <laughs> yes, right. I don't know. I guess Adrian doesn't want to do it. But, um, but anyway, that being said, Yannick is a phenomenal songwriter. This is another classic Maiden song. You're exactly right, Chris. This would easily fit on any of those 80s Maiden records as, as the last song. Great lyrics, great everything. It's really interesting because I find the lyrics on this album almost more than the other Maiden album really fascinating because I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but it's it looks to me, and Steve wrote most of the lyrics on this record, which is also I think, really interesting. Mm. And it seems like the whole album, this is the first of the songs where it's a very reflective, I don't want to say ending, but there's some finality to things on there. And it's almost like, his time machine is just his life is great. You know what, all the things he's seen, he kind of talks about that. I'd be curious to see if I'm reading it right. or If I'm just reading it wrong. I don't know, but phenomenal song. Everything about it's great. Love it. Merle. I agree. There's a lot of the sense of a band taking stock of themselves and a stock of the world around them. I feel there's a lot of apocalyptic imagery across this album as well. But yeah, I think the song's great uh, in terms of Yannick's like place in the bands. I mean, I kind of feel like, Whatever people think, it just wouldn't be an Iron Maiden show if Yannick wasn't there smashing Eddie in the bollocks with his guitar. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's such a key part of the show now. Like. <laughs> as strange as it would be, I would really miss him if he wasn't there now. Yeah. <laughs> and there were times when I would go to shows and I always sit on the other side so I can kind of put him out of my, my sight line. But, that, but now it, I would kind of miss it. I agree with what you said earlier, Chris. I think he's contributed some great songs over the years. I think this is a good song. The first time I did hear that, I am not a free. Not that, but the first time I heard that, have I ever told you about the time machine? I was a bit like, oh, this is, you, you know, sometimes Maiden just really tow the line into darkness. But the rest of the song builds up so much in the only way that, in the way that only they can, that I think they totally get away with it. And um, yeah, at first I was a bit on the fence about this track, but I've really grown to like it now. They do have a little bit of an element of, of doffness, as you said, or we would say cheesiness in the States, totally documented during the Book of Souls tour. I think during the song Book of Souls, when the Mayan Eddie comes out and Bruce tears out his heart, and it's literally like a stuffed animal heart. And it looks so bad. He throws in the crowd, people just fighting each other for him. Like, only Maiden can get away with that. Well, no, no offense, Marlon, but they are English. So there is that English humor in there too. <laughs> exactly. We do, we do it better than anyone. Come on. That's true. <laughs> uh, also, just so you know, Brian, about the leads, Adrian said to me that uh, he never really liked playing the fast Richie Blackmore leads like in Moonchild. There's a lot of that in Halby. The name he says, Yannick loves it. And he said, and I love this. He said, Yannick is better at it than me. I would rather have Yannick play it than me. I'd rather do my solo. So, that was Adrian's point. They're the get-along gang now, man. I know. That's the problem with Adrian. He's so humble. He's, he's like so nice. He's the greatest guitar players ever, and he's such a humble, nice guy. It's like, play the lead, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> then we go to another one. It's deceptively long, 7 minutes and 20 seconds, Darkest Hour, which is Adrian and Bruce again, their final uh, song on the record. And somebody had a great point on one of the reviews I read, he said, do we really need a song about Winston Churchill in 2021? And I would say, no, unless it's Iron Maiden, in which case, 
what else are they going to write about? Duh. <laughs> this one was not a, a, a favorite of mine when I first heard it for the same reasons why I told you I didn't like Sinjutsu. I was expecting, I always want two minutes to midnight and then stuck in that. Once I got out of my own way, this is a great song. It's probably the first official maiden ballad that I can remember since Strange World and Remember Tomorrow. I know they had one on the Virtual Eleven album, Como Stas Amigo, but we won't even talk about that. I think it's a great chorus. I think Bruce sings it great once again. It's the saying that, that Merlin used. It's a great palate cleanser once again, because after this one, there's no fucking letting go, dude. You got 35 minutes of Steve Harris epic. So definitely crept up on me to where I really, really dig this song now. And once again, I think live it would go over really well because it is something different for Iron Maiden. Yeah, I think that... Uh... I probably said almost exactly what that review said in, in terms of when I saw that it was a song about Winston Churchill by Iron Maiden in 2021, I felt a bit like, okay, yeah, I can say it better than that review did. Like, do I need this in my life in 2021? <laughs> you know, the conversation about Winston Churchill's legacy is a little more nuanced <laughs> and layered now than it was when we could all just jump around and to aces high with the Winston Churchill speech <laughs> right, at the start right. of it many years ago. But, you know, it takes a slightly interesting look at Churchill. It talks about the conflicted man he was, I guess. So that's quite an interesting kind of point of view that Bruce has taken on this track. And musically, I think it's a really, really good song. It's, it's uh, again, I know it's, it's about a very specific person and subject in time, but it feels like some of these lyrics and themes could be from the band or just Evergreen in general. When Bruce talks about my black dog has its day and all this kind of stuff, you kind of think, oh, how much of the band's own kind of mental state and situation and worldview is, is going into this, but you just never know with a band like Maiden, you just have to completely project all that. So I find it a really interesting song. It wouldn't rank as one of my favorites on the album, but um, you know, that's no real insult given the caliber of some of the other stuff on here. You know, the, the, I think the one reason why it takes really everybody a little bit to get into this record, my first impression when I listened to it is it's probably the most mellow Iron Maiden record. Yeah, not a lot of fast stuff on it. There's a lot of mellowness to it. But now that I, I listen to it more, I get into it. I really like that because now there's a lot of contrasting, which we'll talk about a lot more in the next few songs. Where this is one thing I love about Rammstein, which makes them so heavy, is they'll play just unbelievably heavy riffs. Then it'll be this really soft little you know keyboard part, and then bam, they hit you in the head, and that makes it so heavy. And there's a lot of this on this record, and this song in particular was one where. When I first heard it, I go, wow, this is really mellow. Like you said, it's almost like a power ballad. And I liked it, but, but it took me, uh, again, a few listens to really, really wrap my head around it, really get into it because of the, it, it's very different for Maiden. Like you said, Chris, it's kind of power ballad-ish, I guess. But like almost every song on this record, there's great choruses. The, the lyrics are great. When you peel away everything, there's so many really cool parts of this song that I really like. And it, even though it's kind of mellow, it's super heavy in, in parts too. So yeah, I, I said like with everything uh, on this record, I really like it. And it is one of those songs where the more you listen to it, you get so caught up in these last three incredible epic Harris songs. You kind of forget about this song, but it is a nice little warm up to what's coming ahead. Well, and, and like you just said, Brian, heavy doesn't necessarily mean thing that should not be. Like there's a heaviness to this album as you guys know, I'm a big X Factor fan. I really get what Steve was going through when he wrote that. And it's much like Pink Floyd for me. I'm not a Pink Floyd guy unless I'm in the mood. And then I can really listen to it. And I feel the whole ethereal emotion. It's getting a little bit deep for a Maiden album. But this album has that to where it's not like 
be quicker, be dead fast. But it's more like just, and we'll talk about the next three songs. It's almost trance-like in a way, which I really like now, especially maybe if I was 21 years old, I wouldn't get it as much. But now at 50, I can really understand Estranged by Guns N' Roses, for example. Hated it when it first came out. Now I, it's the best Guns N' Roses song. I just get it. And I feel the way the same way about this record, especially now as we go into the three epics that close up the record. 35 minutes of just Steve Harris. If you don't like Steve's modern writing, you're not going to like it at first because they all have two-minute intros and two-minute outros, which is what he started doing on X Factor, and he's been doing it ever since. Death of the Celt starts, and I told Brian, this one reminds me kind of a modern version of Klansman. Yep. I just love Death of the Celts as a title once again. Had to Google what the Celts were. I was still, <laughs> it definitely decided the debate of whether it's Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost. So I finally know that. Uh, this one, the middle section, I told Brian, this is, this is my favorite maiden middle section since Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, the song middle section. This playing goes in a dream theater category. You talked earlier about Yannick. There's three part guitar harmonies along with the bass. Of just like there's like eight parts to it, and I'm like, I feel bad for them when they have to learn this because I guarantee none of them really know how it goes. <laughs> they probably played it in sections and just forgot about it for two years. They're gonna have to sit down going, "What the hell did we do here?" Just a tremendous song for me. Like if I was gonna play something for my muso friends from this record, I would play this, and at the five minute mark, go okay. Now listen to the masters take over. <laughs> what do you think, Merlin? I agree. I think it's a brilliant song. I thought, um, I mean, it kind of lends itself because of the Celts thing and Clansman. So it already was slightly in my mind, but musically as well, it instantly Clansman came to mind, which is one of my very favorite Blades tracks. I was so happy when they brought that back yeah. into the set for the Legacy of the Beast tour. Um, and you know, you talk about the X Factor stuff. I think a lot of the albums has aged really well. I think people's opinions of that album has softened a lot. I don't think it's a coincidence that as well as Clansman, you know, Sign of the Cross was brought back for the last Maiden show. So I think. You know, there's clearly good feeling in the band about that era as well. And yeah, I just love this song. It's got, again, more of that kind of medieval romp running through it, which is really great fun. It's just got all the classic modern maiden elements you would want, if that makes sense. So you've got those kind of big swaying kind of post Blood Brothers-esque uh, riffs. Uh, you've got the big galloping midsection, all these clashing cymbals from Nico, which I just love. Dueling solos. I think some of the solo on this album is amazing as well, actually. Um and yeah, it's just it's just great. And you know, if this was the song that the album ended on, I'd I'd be happy with that. But it somehow gets even more epic from here. But I guess we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. Brian? Yeah, see, it's interesting you guys talk about X Factor. So I was one of those hardcore maiden fans that never listened to any of those records, denied their existence. I was forget it never happened. So my good friend, Mr. Chris Jericho, would constantly badger me about this. You gotta listen, you gotta listen. I was like, I'm not gonna listen. I love Blaze Bailey, great guy, great singer, wrong guy to be an Iron Maiden. So I never ever listened to it. So finally, I think it was a couple of years ago at NAM. You finally got to me and broke me down. I okay, I promise you I'm gonna listen to it. So I went back and listened to, to X Factor. I was like, wow, this actually is a really good album. Like, you know, Blaze is the wrong singer. And you know, had Bruce been on that record, it would have been a phenomenal Iron Maiden record. We see that with them doing Sign of the Cross and the Clansman Live. They're phenomenal songs. And it is a really dark, heavy record. And until you mentioned that, Chris, a couple minutes ago, I never really thought about Death of the Celts being 
like that record, but it is very similar. It's almost could have been on that record. It's a lot of the riffing and phrasing and stuff is very, very similar. Great song. My least favorite of the last three. That being said, I still love, 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 love it. But these other two are just at some other crazy level than this, but it's really good. And uh, it is though, however, Celtic Frost. Is it? Tom Warrior told me himself, <laughs> Celtic Frost. Uh, yeah, just to confuse you more, it's it's also Celtic, the Scottish football club. So, <laughs> yeah, and we have the Boston Celtics, you know, team here. Hey, I'm from this part of the world. Even I can't keep up. Don't worry about it. I know, but Celt though is pronounced Celt. It's not so. That's those. You know, if you Google, you'll see the whole thing. Got it. Just so you know. I knew you would like X Factor because I knew how much of an Iron Maiden fan you are, and that's why I kept pushing it on you because it does have so much. It's so deep. I think Steve had just gone through a divorce, and it's it's a very dark deep album which which still holds up to this day not the whole thing but there's a good five or six songs in there that uh live up to anything in my opinion agreed uh let's go to the parchment which i did not quite get at first until nico was on talk is jericho which i've mentioned a few times he said the parchment was his favorite song on the record and i was like wow really so i started to really listen to it kind of got a a new appreciation for it this one to me is what i mentioned to you it's it's the longest song on the record at 12 minutes or so, which somebody pointed out is still, there's still two longer songs on Book of Souls, which is great. This is a trance song. This is one that if you put it on and you're looking just for a quick fix, you're not going to get it with this. You need to spend some time with this and really dig deep because it is a long, intricate song and it's not the same. Even though you think they're just repeating it over and over again, they're not. There's always something different going on in the same. The riff is very mid-tempo, but there's a lot of shit going on in this tune that you really have to listen for to really get it. So it's grown on me. If I'm in the mood, this is this is one of the ones to, to really delve into. What do you think, Brian? My favorite song on the record. Wow. Okay. You and Nico. I mean, yeah. I uh, Look, I love big epics. Like the Red and the Black it, off Book of Soul in my top five main songs ever. I love it. And this is kind of a next version of it a little bit, but this is, this one to me though is really progressive. Like there's a lot of stuff going on in the song, a lot of changes, but everything that they do in here, it does take you on this journey. There's a lot going on. It does take you a while to get into it, but it, it's to me the heaviest song of the record. Mm. And also there's just so much stuff going on. But what's really intriguing to me over the last few records, again, you know, how these guys at their age is coming up with this just really brilliant melodies. And there's like seven different melodies in this song that are all phenomenal. That if they were one song, it would be great, but they just keep going on and on and on. And I do really like that kind of the guitar in behind Bruce's singing. I'm trying to figure out, I think this one is Yannick. I think Yannick's doing a lot of them, mm. but I'm not sure. I'd be curious to see. I keep forgetting to go back and look at Book of Souls Live and see who's playing the background because there's the same thing on that. But I, I just love it. And I, I'm, again, fascinated by the lyrics again because it's a it's a historical thing. I believe it's a bit either the beginning or the ending of the Parthian Empire. I'm not sure because they did talk about Parthian skin in there. I'm just, <laughs> I, oh, we all know about the end of the Parthian Empire. We all know. Like, I talk about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. But for, for the, the lyrics are just so in-depth. And, and to me, especially Steve's lyrics, are very seem more personal than, than before, even though he's talking about who knows, history or battles or whatever it is, it seems a little bit more personal, which I find to be really, really fascinating. But I, I just love this song. I think it's phenomenal. It's, you know, again, a classic 
long maiden song that could have come out in, in 1988. It wouldn't sound weird if we would have come out then as opposed to 2021, which again is just a tribute to how a band like this, you know, even though we're all maiden fans, we're kind of biased. Like there are not very many bands at this stage in their career making records at such a high level. I mean, you could say Metallica as well with the last album there too. Yeah. It's just amazing to me. And that's why, you know, we get into this argument about well, where are the next headliners coming from? Look, look, and tell these older bands stop playing at some crazy high level. It's going to take a while for you know, people to unseat them. You're right. Yeah, it's it's just an epic. And I kind of feel like it's indicative of the whole album in the sense that you're right, Chris, you need to be in a certain mind frame to engage with this song. But I kind of feel like that about Maiden albums now. Like, I can't see myself really just quickly sticking on any of these songs for one listen. Every time I want to hear this album, I want to sit and listen to it in full from start to end because it really feels like a journey. Um, and again, some of those really kind of introspective, quite emotional lyrics where even though this is one of the things that make Maiden so unique, even though most of their shtick is kind of historical, fantastical, heavy metal, gung-ho, fun and games, the melodies they weave into this stuff and some of the lyrics they kind of hide under there really pull at your heartstrings and they really hit you in an emotional way that you maybe wouldn't expect. I mean, there's a lyric on here when he says something along the lines of, I'm heading for the afterlife, meet me there or something like that. Mm. And you just hear that come out and it just gives you goosebumps because you don't quite know what he's getting at. You don't know if it's just tied to the theme of the song. You don't know if it's a grander, deeper thing that Steve's saying there. This song out of all of them, I think, took me the longest to click with, not because I necessarily didn't like it. There's just so much going on that I was just like, I'm just not going to be able to get my head around this for a few listens. And it's probably only even really recently that it's really clicked to the point where I absolutely love it now. Then we come to the album's final track, Hell on Earth, the final in the Harris trilogy of epics. And once again, I think if Maiden continues another two years, five years, I think 50 years from now, True Iron Maiden fans will be discussing the trilogy on Senjutsu about just how epic these three songs were, because they've never done anything like this before. Why don't you start off with Hell on Earth, Brian, and let us know what you think. Yeah, so this would be my favorite song on the record, had it not be for the two and a half minute long intro. I, I don't mind these intros. I get it. I understand it. I love the melody there but I could use about 40 seconds less of it. And then it might be my favorite song correct. That being said, everything else in the song is 100% phenomenal, epic, amazing, incredible. Steve Harris at his finest. Also, it's a little bit of a different Steve Harris epic song. Like most of like the first one is kind of the classic, you know, one. this is different. It has all these waves and that's why I, I really like it because it starts off mellow and then it gets heavy, then it gets mellow again for a bit. Then it gets really heavy again. So it's like this, this kind of roller coaster ride that you don't really see with a lot of stuff he does. Again, the, the melodies and the guitar playing, I have to say, we, we haven't talked about this yet, but the guitar, the lead playing on this record is incredible. Yeah. All three of these guys are on their A game. And like the parchment is a great example where each guy's playing at least two leads in that song. They're phenomenal leads. They're like some of the, I mean, these guys, again, they're in their 60s and they're playing at this high level. It's the same with this song where it's just, amazing leads and all the, the melodic turns that, that are in here are just kind of mind-blowing because it's so great and again lyrically this is uh merlin mentioned emotional this is a really emotional song for me you know the first couple of listens it almost brought me to tears just the way it's flowing and what he's talking about you know it's it's, it's really intriguing it's almost like an ode to you know his life and talking about the afterlife and i'm following the light again and you know meet me on the you know meet me on the other side you know it's really very personal lyrics from Steve Harris, which you don't 
really hear a lot. I, I could be reading it wrong, but that's kind of where, where I feel. It feels like, you know, maybe he's found religion again and, you know, all this kind of personal stuff going on in it, which makes it very emotional, you know, and obviously talking about what's going on in hell on earth and, you know, kids and armies and all this sort of stuff. It's a really, really interesting song. And it feels to me, at least, like it's kind of more of a modern day sort of talking about as opposed to what they normally historically. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, it's an incredible song. And Chris said something we were texting that if, if this is the last Iron Maiden album ever, this would be the perfect song to end it. And I hope it's not, but you're exactly right. Yeah, I, I agree. I found this song, like Brian said, I, I kind of said it earlier, but uh, I found this song enormously emotional. And um, the kind of love in anger, life in danger refrain that he's just crying out at the end. I was just like, wow, this is really like impactful and strong. And I don't quite know why, but I just know that it is. And that's, again, is what Maiden are really good at. And I do think there's, you know, we don't know this for a fact, but I do think there's a lot of introspective songwriting here. I do think it is a band taking stock of their own place in this world and their own kind of mortality, maybe. The song itself, I just think, is brilliant. The long intro doesn't bother me too much. I can see why after having just had a 12 minute and 40 second song beforehand, it could be a bit much for some. <laughs> but for me, again, it's almost like I'm going to use the term again. It's almost like a little bit of a palate cleanser because you kind of you need a recovery period after the parchment because it's such an epic. And I think that intro kind of allows you to do that while it slowly kind of drags you under the waves of this next song. Fair enough. But yeah, but you know, I do get I do get what you're saying as well, Brian. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I just think it builds and builds and builds into one of the most emotionally compelling climaxes to any Maiden song or album I've ever heard, actually. And it's just, it's mad that this band is still doing this to all of us kind of 40 plus years after they first kind of turned up. I think, Merlin, just to add to that and, and just to say what Brian was talking about, one thing I also love, and this is just, once again, you're not going to have this again. You're talking about the three guitar players playing all those leads on all these songs and we know which one is which. You can tell. Dave Murray has had the fucking greatest tone since day one. You know Adrian's style, and you know Yannick's style. And it's like, that's what I love. Like, how many bands? There's three players. You know, oh, that's Yannick. That's Adrian. You know, that's Dave. I think during the course of this conversation, I've realized, much like Metallica, and then Brian, it's the same for you because you were there from the start with Metallica. And you too, Merlin, even though you came in a little bit later. We grew up with these bands. Metallica has been my band because when I was, you know, 13 and saw Kill 'em All, they looked like I did. Shitty mustache, zits all over the face, trying to grow their hair out, but it's not really working. And it's like I grew up with these guys. Maiden was a little bit older, but not much. But Maiden's been a part of my life since fucking 1982. When I was 11, I liked the Invaders and I liked the Loneliest Long Distant Runner and all that sort of stuff. Here I am at 50. They're in their 60s. So when you talk about, you said it, Merlin, on the podcast, you might have said it tonight. These melodies do something to you. As a maturing man, as a lifelong fan of Iron Maiden, like fucking hell on earth to me is just as heavy as Power Slave. I get it because, like you said, it is, it's wistful, it's introspective. And if this is, like I told Brian, if this is the last Maiden song ever released by some shitty thing, it fits because it's, it encapsulates my love for Iron Maiden from day one until now, but it's not the same and it can't be the same because we're older. And so is the band. And I just think, like you said, love and anger lost in danger. The intro I love because it reminds me of some kind of an epic movie or something. This to me is the best song on the record. And when I first heard it, I was like, 
you just end this album already? Like I said, <laughs> if you're listening to this for the first time, please give it five or six or seven listens because you will understand it much better and it will hit you like this, this song did for me. Yes. And I, I will. So I'll backtrack a little bit now because I think Merlin made a great point about you need a break after the parchment. So maybe that now I see why that long intro does make more sense now because you, you do need a break. That's a pretty crazy song. So all right, maybe it's my favorite. Now. I don't know. <laughs> I was also laughing, though, because I was like, there's no way Steve's going to do three intro outros in a row. Guess what? He did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't care. Who's going to tell him that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's going to tell him that? <laughs> Well, as we wind down here, I guess the, the, the last question is, what is your overall thought of Senjutsu? And where do you rank it in the list of kind of the post-Maiden reunion records? And I can kind of start, like I said, this to me is the all-time Maiden grower. Uh, you have to listen to this. And if you do, from beginning to end, it's it's hard to say because I love Matter of Life and Death as an album. But I didn't like the reincarnation of Benjamin Brieg, and I didn't really like Different World. If this one continues to grow on me like it is, this will be my favorite reunion Iron Maiden record, replacing Matter of Life and Death, which it currently is, is the favorite. So that's where I'm going to put it. And like I said, if this is the last Maiden record, and if you say, oh, come on, Chris, Nico's 70, Bruce is 64. By the time they go out on tour, they'll be one year older. Uh, they're going to have to make an album quicker than six years this time. <laughs> just a great late era chapter iron maiden that to me stands up just as well as the early chapters are even though some might not feel that way but i like to listen to this from beginning to end rather than pull songs from it and that's very rare for a record in this day and age what do you think brian yeah i agree i'm still new to the record so i'm still warming up to it but i agree you have to go beginning to end which is hard to do because it's an hour and 20 minutes Luckily, I have a little bit more time these days, so I, I've been able to listen to it at least once every day. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's still growing on me right now. Book of Souls is my favorite of the second era stuff. And while I still think that there are a couple songs on Book of Souls that I like better than anything on this record, this record, though, is more consistent. Every song on this record is really good. Yeah. And I can't say that about Book of Souls. I really, I like all the, the secondary Maiden albums, uh, but Book of Souls is my favorite one. But this one, I'm, I'm with you. I think... If I listen to this more, which I obviously will, in two or three weeks, this might surpass Book of Souls as, as being my favorite second era uh, Maiden albums. And, you know, it certainly is up there compared to the early stuff, too. And I love the fact, because I remember when Somewhere in Time, Power Slave, and Seven Sun came out, all those records took a while to get into. Right. There's a lot going on, especially in the 80s. Like you, you weren't hearing that sort of stuff. With the, nobody's doing what they were doing back then. So I remember it, it took a lot of listens to really kind of grasp and get into that sort of stuff. You know, even peace of mind as well. This is the first Maiden record where I've really felt that that was, I like it more every time I listen to it, which is a great thing. And I, I agree. I think it's a, a top level Iron Maiden album, probably going to end up my favorite of the second era. And, and certainly, you know, one of the better Maiden albums ever at a time when I didn't really expect it, especially after writing on the wall, I was like, ah, you know, it's good, but you know, after such a big, epic, amazing album like Book of Souls, it's like, ah, I gotta follow that up. And here, here we are talking about it being amazing. Merlin? Oh, I'm gonna quickly say first that I am probably a bit compromised by my relationship with Brave New World because it was the first Maiden album I came to. And I think that's always gonna sit top of the podium in my heart for that. And I do think objectively it, it, it stands up to any classic Maiden album as well. But I think this album kind of feels like 
the climax of a journey that started probably on a matter of life and death. I think it's very telling that we kind of referenced that album as well. Yeah. Because I felt like that was a real step towards the maiden that they have become now. And I feel like this is the climax of that. And I feel like it's the most successful attempt by, I guess, Steve beyond anyone else to really represent what Iron Maiden are in the modern era. And I think it's the album that has the most kind of emotional journey through it. I don't know if, I don't know, The Red and the Black, I'm with Brian, is really one of my favourite main songs ever. I don't know if there's a single song I'd quite put next to that, but as an album, I definitely think overall it's better than Book of Souls. And I think those last three songs especially, uh, you said it, Chris, I think they're going to go down as something that Maiden fans will pour over for a long time. I mean, Brian, I know you're saying you're still warming to the album. We've been lucky enough to have it a bit longer and I'm still warming to it. Like every time I listen to this thing, there's something new somewhere that I go, oh my God, I didn't even catch that. I didn't notice that lyric. I didn't quite hear that melody the first time. Even I've listened to it twice today. Even just having this conversation <laughs> makes me want to go listen to it again right now. So yeah, I think it's an amazing, amazing piece of work and it deserves to be given the time by Maiden fans old and new to really delve into because it's not just going to be a one and done listen for people. Well, once again, guys, thank you for doing this. And I just love once again, different generations, different parts of the country and united by Iron Maiden. So hopefully we'll get a chance to all experience it together when they go back on tour. There will be a Senjutsu tour where they play the whole album in its entirety uh, and, and people will be going absolutely uh, uh, mental for it. And we'll be in the front row singing along, I'm sure. Well, at least three of us will be here. <laughs> you know Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Good to see you guys. Thank you, Chris. Good to see you. Thank you. You too, man.